Today's episode of the Goldcast is the first one of 2018. Raymond, 92nd episode ever. How insane is that? Pretty damn insane, if you ask me. And still going strong with a with an eventual new format uh, later this month. Yes, later this month we will have the brand new format. It's going to be dropping. Um, we're going to switch to video as promised on YouTube, iTunes and Stitcher and all of our rest of our podcast, um, hosts will still say the same, but if you are a fan of us on YouTube, we will be switching to a streaming format where you'll be able to see our beautiful shining faces. Now, Raymond, before we get started, why don't you let them know where they can find us? You can like us on Facebook.com slash The Goldcast. You can also follow us on Twitter at The Goldcast underscore. You can also follow us on Instagram at The Goldcast. You can also subscribe to us via iTunes, YouTube, and Stitcher. Do it because it's awesome, and we love to hear from you. Like, subscribe, comment. We try to reply to as many as we can, and do the right thing. Do the right thing. All right, here we go. We are going to talk about the return of Isaiah Thomas and Steph Curry and what both of those mean for the Warriors. But first, the intro. Let's get busy. San Francisco, are you ready? This is the Gold Cast. Boom! Welcome to another edition of the Gold Cast. We are the voice of the Bay. I'm your host, Rudy Salisa III, and with me is my brother, my co-host. Raymond Salisa first, baby. Boom. All right. Here we go. 2018. Let's get right into it. Isaiah Thomas is back for the Cleveland Cavaliers, and everyone's super excited. 17 points in 19 minutes. Now, here's the thing, Raymond. Now, let me preface this first. This is not a bash Isaiah Thomas podcast. I love Isaiah Thomas. He's got the heart of a line. He's a little dude. I love that he's a little dude, but he is on our sworn enemy, the Seattle Seahawks of basketball for the Golden State Warriors, the Cleveland Cavaliers, our biggest rival. And let's talk about this. Let's talk a little bit about last year. Last year, you've got the Cleveland Cavaliers are 27th ranked in defense, and they get heavily exposed during the playoffs when, or during the finals when they're playing against the Warriors, and they literally defensively have no answer for the Warriors. They're putting up over 100 points and still losing. So in the offseason, now we have Isaiah Thomas. He's here. Let's go back to his playoff run last year during the Eastern Conference. When he goes down, Boston's the defensive prowess of Boston is heavily ramped. All of a sudden, their defensive deficiencies are no longer deficiencies because Isaiah Thomas is out of the lineup. Now, obviously, what he does offensively in what is a mostly offensive sport makes a tremendous amount of sense. And I don't, I'm not dissing what he does offensively, but defensively, due to his size, he is a defensive liability. And essentially, teams at the at the playoff level are going five on four when Boston had their backs against the wall and were playing defense. Fast forward now to the Cleveland Cavaliers. They now have the second to last ranked defense in in the NBA. Isaiah Thomas is back. I have to admit, I am licking my chops thinking about this idea that there is no way this team defensively is going to have an answer for us. Defensively, what are they, what's, what's Isaiah Thomas going to do? What are they going to do when there's four guys against Draymond, Steph, Kevin Durant, 
Clay Thompson and whoever the fifth man is, because it's kind of always a, ro- a rotating thing. Ray, I want to hear what your thoughts are. What do you feel about Isaiah Thomas coming back? And do you agree with me that this actually puts the Warriors in a better chance to win? Well, the the fifth is always Zaza Pachulia. It's not it's not really a rotation. Zaza is typically the starting center, and then depending on who we're playing, usually determines whether we you know whether Omri Caspri comes in. You know, Andre Iguodala is obviously going to come in in that second unit. David West is obviously a part of that second unit. Uh, Jordan Bell sometimes comes in depending on the matchup. He came in the Dallas game. Um, we saw that he also came into the the. Grizzlies game but uh, as far as Cleveland's concerned the only thing that they upgraded with the exception of Jay Crowder was offense they got two has-been scorers in Derrick Rose and D Wade both of whom have durability issues now Wade simply because he's older and Derrick Rose simply because he's fragile whereas Isaiah Thomas is a prolific scorer but a huge liability on defense even worse than Kyrie Irving. In fact, he's even older than Kyrie Irving and coming off of a significant hip injury, which does affect your movement, your turning ability, all of that. He played well last night. You know, I think he's overall he's going to be okay because he's still young enough for an injury like that not to impede him too much. You know, dependent severity, of course, is obviously depending on that degree of that, but I think he's going to be all right for the long haul. However, when you add three scores, one defender off the bench, that still does not is not enough to match Kevin Durant, Draymond Green, Clay Thompson, and Steph Curry. Clay Thompson, one of the best two-way players. Steph Curry, who's a top 10 in defensive point guard. Kevin Durant, who's playing the best defense of his entire career. Draymond Green, a former defensive player of the year, uh, former runner-up the previous two years. So, uh, And same thing with Zaza. Zaza's a good defender. is a great defender. David West is a great defender. Jordan Bell was picked because of his defensive prowess and what he can obviously become offensively. He's shown the flashes of that, but he's been great off the off the rebounds and blocks. Patrick McCaw, another guy causing blocks and also getting steals. So there's just too much defensive depth and offensive depth for Cleveland to really keep up. No matter what, I don't really, I don't even think Derrick Rose and Dwayne Wade are even going to make it that long in terms of durability. I don't think that they're get, they got enough strength. I mean, I understand he's coming off the bench now, which is probably a smarter move versus inserting him into the starting lineup because he just doesn't have that type of stamina anymore. So if you do want to preserve him, having him come off the bench is the best thing to do. But if they deviate from that or if something significant happens, which is a really, really high chance of, of happening, especially with Derrick Rose, then – Good luck. Your bench is going to be thin. You're going to lose your two scores, which means offensively you're going to be strapped, keeping up with the best offensive team in the NBA, one of the best we've seen in the history of the association. So, unfortunately, they took one step forward with Jay Crowder, but probably I would wager three steps back with Isaiah Thomas, Derrick Rose, and D Wade. You could argue two steps forward, two steps back, because Isaiah Thomas is pretty good. But if we're in terms of defense, it's one step forward, three steps back. So I'm sorry, but it's just not enough, you know. And I know they're playing the Rockets tonight, which is a, a team that's obsessed with the Warriors. They're not going to really get – I don't think they're going to get very far either. They're down Harden, but we're – Kevin Durant's not playing tonight. And I know that the Warriors typically struggle in back-to-backs, but I don't think that Chris Paul is going to lead the charge considering how fragile he's become in the twilight of his career. He's just not as durable as he used to be. He can't move as well as he used to move. And he plays in an offense that requires – 
a lot of quick, fast movement, quick pace offense, similar to the Warriors pace, because that's how D'Antoni has always run it, even back with the Steve Nash days. But uh, I don't think it's enough. Uh, not, not only the Warriors, the Rockets are not enough, but Cleveland just hasn't done enough to really answer the answer the, the Warriors riddle. I agree. I'm glad we're in agreement about that. Let's talk a little bit about the return of Steph. Now, that that is quite a return. Steph was huge. Uh, he absolutely torched the Memphis Grizzlies, dropping 38. He only played 25 minutes, too, which was 10 minutes less than Klay Thompson and Kevin Durant. They both dropped 20 and 17, respectively. But Steph Curry was, I'm sorry, uh, 21 and uh, 20 points. Uh, Zaza Pachulia dropped 17 that day, which is rare for him. But um, Steph Curry dropped 38. His shooting was off the chart, 76% from the field, uh, 77% from three-point range. He was 10 of 13. He's obviously not going to drop 10 every game. But uh, even against Dallas, he had the clutch three at the very end. His minutes got started to match that of Clay and Durant. Uh, he was up to 34 minutes, so he bumped it up by nearly 10 minutes. He was 57% from the field, 46 from three, he was six of 13. So just a shy under 50%. Ends up dropping 32 with that clutch three at the very end to, to answer uh, Harrison Barnes' clutch two to keep the game tied. So I'm sorry, but two-time MVP versus, you know, Harrison Barnes, who just never seemed to really tap and be the player that we were hoping for him to be. So we ended up just getting Kevin Durant instead. Um, not enough for Dallas Mavericks. And the point is Dallas Mavericks and Memphis, for that matter, outshot us in three points in both those games. So teams are trying to live and die by the three the way that the Warriors live and die by the three. The problem is that with the depth in the bench and the defensive personnel to stop the Warriors' offensive potency, they're just they're gonna they're gonna die by the three more than live by the three. Even though Dallas is shooting a lot of threes this year, look at their record. Their record is 13 and 26. Is that a team that is you know really honing the three-point philosophy that the Warriors pioneered? So obviously not. 30 and 8 versus 13 and 26. They even they outshot the Warriors tonight. Like I said, both them and the Grizzlies did, but it didn't do anything. It didn't change anything. Just because you shoot more threes than the Warriors doesn't mean you're going to beat the Warriors because the Warriors do one thing fundamentally better and more soundly than any other team, and that's play defense. That's why they lead the league in defensive rebounds. They lead the league in blocks, and they're the third, the third best defense in the association. So until you start to get into that territory you, and you try to beat them with just the threes alone you're, it's just not going to happen so good luck you know I don't expect them I expect I expect them to win tonight against the Rockets despite the fact that we're not don't have Kevin Durant because on the other end they don't have James Harden so I think uh, we're going to win despite that boom there it is now last thing Ray before we sign off I want to talk to you just a little bit about the final game for the 49ers wow what a turnaround first of all Remember when we were getting trolled at the beginning of the year by all the Raider fans? Remember how badly they were trolling us? Yeah, totally. And here's the thing. So we're trolled by those Raider fans. And what's really funny is we both end up with the same record, 6-10. and 10, But for some reason, ours feels a lot different than theirs, doesn't it? It feels completely different. Yeah, I think for the obvious reason that Derek Carr, Carr had a huge breakout year last year. They were 12-4 and four on their way to the playoffs. You know, they were projected to be better, a better AFC contender than the Patriots. And then Derek Carr broke his leg, and that was the end of their season. They couldn't do anything. And Jack Del Rio got a pro fired. I think it was appropriate because he's not a good coach. When you're a top offense and you fire the guy that helped you 
facilitate that top tier offense and you get a guy that basically regresses you back because he's buddy buddy with your starting quarterback and something needs to happen and here's the other thing jack del rio has fired more assistants than any other coach in nfl history so where's the accountability if you keep firing the people around you how do you expect to make any progress when you're when you're killing the guys that are trying to develop your playbooks and your defensive playbooks and your offensive playbooks you're you eventually you're you essentially set Derek Carr back uh, a season with uh, this type of year and Todd Downey because he's terrible I it's, it's asinine that I even have to talk about the Raiders for as long as I'm I am right now but the point is they regressed we progressed and there's a lot more hope and I think enthusiasm going into the Niners off season and then heading back in later this year than there is for the Raiders I think because they've they don't even have a head coach right now we know that John Gruden might be the guy I just don't know if 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 you need to get an old coach that's been out of the league for a long time I understand he still studies and he's in the broadcasting booth and he's still heavily involved and understands the sport very well it's not like he's completely absent like Joe Gibbs when he took a break to go to NASCAR and then came back to the NFL whereas in this case John Gruden's still very much attached to the sport and very much up to up to speed with how the sport has evolved but you know whether or not that's going to translate in his ability to coach this particular team at this particular time remains to be seen but as far as the Niners are concerned I think this I think there's huge, huge anticipation for next year, and everyone's talking playoffs now, and I think that's appropriate considering what Jimmy G has done and what we're going to do in the offseason. I agree. And so going back to tie this all back into that final game of the year, I was there in the Coliseum watching us play the Rams. The ratio of Niner to Rams fan, it felt like it was about 3-1. to one. I mean, it was a sea of red everywhere. The announcer over the mic asked, Whose house is this? And the entire stadium yelled Niners. Then, when the Rams were on D- on offense, about to try, That's they were so trying sad. to score. They were. I know it's so sad, <laughs> so sad. When the Niners were about to score, uh, when when the Rams were trying to score, they were like in their own end zone. They were somewhere around the ten and the five. It was hard to see because I was behind one of the goalposts, and. The crowd started chanting defense, ba 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 ba. Defense, ba 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 ba. Against the Rams on offense in LA. This is the NFC West champs. That's how sad it is to be a Rams fan. You don't even have good representation on the eve of your regular season after winning the division and hosting a playoff game. So I, I don't know what to say, LA. That's on you guys. You guys wanted a sports team. You got a sports team. In fact, you got two over there in San Diego and and the and the or San Diego in Chargers and the Rams. And that's just really sad. It's, God damn, it feels good to be a Niner fan and to be from born and raised in San Francisco. But I'll tell you what, Jimmy G put up another good performance. Um, I the the two picks don't look good on his overall touchdown interception ratio. He was six for five in five games. But if you look at those two picks. Marquise Goodwin actually did a hesitation step in his route, which allowed uh, the cornerback to jump it a little bit there. And that guy's a rookie, too, uh, Peterson. And then in the second one, it looked like there was the route was supposed to be a double-move go route based on where Jimmy was throwing it. He was supposed to jump, double-move, and then start to cut inside. He didn't do that. It looked like he was doing a, a button hook, a stop button hook. And, and then he slipped in the middle of that of when he was doing the move, and then the ball sailed over. So not necessarily like the cornerback making a tremendous athletic move, 
it was more so with the with the sec with the the jump um, one than the one that was just overthrown. But it looked more to me more like there was miscommunication on the receiving end, which led to those picks. Um, the more legitimate one was last week when he actually got hit while he was throwing, which fluttered the ball and then and didn't end up going to its intended target because he got hit when he's throwing it. So he just needs to get it out a little bit faster. But other than that. Great performance by Jimmy G. He had eight plays of 10 yards or more, or I'm sorry, eight plays of 12 yards or more, whereas the Rams only had three plays of such yardage. Um, so super proficient, uh, 50% on third down efficiency, eight, 80% for five on red zone efficiency. So Matt Mayoko had a really cool article that I encourage you guys to check out, which shows the 49ers offense on how they improved with Jimmy Garoppolo. So before Garoppolo, we were 21st in yards per game. After Garoppolo, we were first. We were first in the NFL. Um, net passing per game, we were 17th in the NFL before Jimmy. After Jimmy, our, our total is 297, which ranks first in the NFL. And this is projected. And, and the NFL ranks are projected over the entire season. Um, third downs, we were 26th in the NFL before Jimmy. After Jimmy, we have 50% which uh, ranks first in the NFL completion percentage, 67%, which was 31st in the NFL before Jimmy, third in the NFL after. Sacks allowed, we were tied for the sixth most in the, in the NFL. After Jimmy, we were 27th most in the NFL, which is where you want to be in that statistical category. You don't want to allow. The higher up rank you are, the better it looks statistically. Time of possession, we were also first in the NFL. We were 31st before Jimmy, first uh, in the NFL with Jimmy. Points per game, we were 28th in the NFL before Jimmy. After Jimmy, 28.8 points scored per game. That ranks second in the NFL. So huge, huge jumps with Jimmy being there. And these are projected to, these are projected and not like within the five games, but projected over a season, this is where we would rank. We would be basically the number one offense in the NFL. Boom. Imagine what happens really- when we get more pieces around him. Yep, imagine what happens. Really exciting stuff. Thanks for dropping all those stats. It was really fun. Hey, 49er Faithful, great to see so many of you out at the Coliseum. Um, well, let's take, we'll see what happens tonight against the Rockets. We are moving fully into AB, NBA mode. Of course, we will be checking in during the NFL post, so you're definitely getting our, our playoff reactions because I love the NFL post. Ray loves the NFL post. But we are starting to move into NBA action with the Golden State Warriors. We'll see what happens. Raymond, before we leave, why don't you let them know where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter at Ray Solis and on Instagram at Ray Solis one Boom. You can find me on Instagram, Rudy Solis 3 and on Twitter, Rudy Solis 3RD, Rudy Solis 3rd. So concludes another edition of the Goldcast. We are the voice of the Bay. I'm your host, Rudy Salisa III, and with me is my brother, my co-host. Raymond Salisa first, baby. Boom. We'll see you next time. Same Goldcast time, same Goldcast channel. This is, this is the Goldcast.